Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance. You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. ARRC LED beds integrate proprietary scanning technology and frequency protocols to shape the delivery of six different wavelengths in dose-optimized photobiomodulation. Yes, that's a lot of words. What it is, though, is that photobiomodulation improves the underlying energetics of the cells in your body. And those changes can benefit nearly every tissue and organ and system in your body. You change your cells and you change your life. For more information, visit ARRCLED.com. What if there was a way to feel younger for longer? Well, there is. Your body needs something called the NAD plus molecule to help you age well. When you're young, your body makes a lot of NAD plus, and that helps you make energy. It helps you keep your DNA healthy, absorb nutrients well, and it protects your cells from stress. But once you hit about 30, your NAD plus levels start to drop. The good news is that longevity scientists have found some things that can help, like niacin, niacinamide, and niagen. They help your body make more NAD plus even as you age. All three of these are in an amazing formula called Qualia NAD plus. Check out Qualia NAD plus risk-free for up to 100 days at neurohacker.com slash Dave15 to save an extra 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash Dave15, Qualia NAD+. It's what I use. Today is a special live interview conducted at the American Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine with Dr. Robert Goldman, who started this illustrious group 26 years ago. He's the world chairman from the International Medical Commission and he's chairman of the board of what's known as A4M, which is a group of thousands of physicians working on solving the world's aging problems. And their work has profoundly affected me as a biohacker. In fact, I met my wife, Dr. Lana, at the A4M conference 14 years ago. That's how profoundly this stuff matters. On top of that, Dr. Goldman is president emeritus of the National Academy of Sports Medicine. And what this means is that He's spent decades figuring out how to get doctors to line up to do stuff that matters instead of doing stuff the way it's always been done. And I'm really fortunate to get to spend an hour here in Las Vegas, the annual event, because he's a, a very busy guy and a very sought after guy. So, Bob, welcome to the show. Dave, it's great to see you. And uh, you've been making great impact yourself in a number of areas, as well as your charitable work, which I think is great. Thank you. What made you decide 26 years ago uh, that this was going to become a movement, this anti-aging thing? Well, you know, it was actually a, a second phase. Um, I come from a heavy sports medicine background as an athlete. And uh, and then, you know, as we get older, you go, okay, what are you going to do? You know, I started NASM, National Academy of Sports Medicine, doing the first certifications ever, ever done for personal trainers. In fact, when I did the first certification back in the late 1980s, there was no such thing as a certified personal trainer. It did not exist. Wow. And within one year of starting NASM, over 270 other groups popped up doing personal trainer certification. <laughs> so when you come up with a good idea, people jump on it. Well, 
after after NASM, you know, said, well, people are getting older. I'm getting older, and now we have to address the diseases of aging. How do we treat every patient like an Olympian? Well, we just want to increase their performance, their capability, what they're able to do at any age. So how do we apply the same things that we do in sports medicine to all fields of medicine? And thereby, this was born with 12 doctors in Chicago, and now it's 120 countries, 28,000 plus members. And um, we've literally created a new paradigm of medicine where we treat aging as a disease using all the technologies available to us. What's the difference between an anti-aging doctor and a functional medicine doctor? Well, you know, these are just terminology, right. anti-aging, functional medicine, feel-good medicine, age management, orthomolecular. Yeah. I mean, these are just terms for the same thing. Really, anti-aging is sort of like the blanket term we came up with, whether it's integrative, functional, or whatever. Um, really, we're trying to intercede utilizing all technology and, in many ways, a more healthful approach, not just giving meds. You know, as a physician and surgeon, we can give any drug, cut you open, but let's try and figure out what's causing the problem in the first place. What, How can we intervene to get these people off of the six or eight medications they're on? It's not just a very unhealthy way. I mean, you know, if you go do a little historical perspective, the Journal of the American Medical Association, and I'm sure you—, you the, the number one sponsor of JAMA, of the journal, was cigarettes. Yep. Okay, so you used to have doc, more doctors prefer camels. I mean, you know, it was like <laughs> insane. And so, uh, and now we have big pharma. And again, I'm not against the use of medications. You know, I write scripts. Yeah, me either. They're useful. They're very useful. But if you are then downgrading nutritional approaches, such as a lot of things that you've developed, there's a lot of very healthful ways to get to where you want to be without taking your uppers, downers, in-betweeners, and before you're all done, you're a bloody mess. When I look back to my 20s, I'd weighed as much as 300 pounds, uh, and I had arthritis in my knees since I was 14, and they diagnosed me with high risk of stroke and heart attack, uh, prediabetes, cognitive dysfunction, and uh, chronic fatigue syndrome and fibromyalgia. But I went to the normal doctor because I'd had sinus infections every month for years, and I just got antibiotics every month for about 15 years. Oh, I'm getting sick again. Let me just call it in. And we know today what that does to your gut bacteria. We know that that contributes to all sorts of problems throughout the system of the human body. And when I started getting really sick, I'd moved into a new house that now I understood, understand had toxic mold, which is now correlated with Alzheimer's and inflammation and all kinds of bad stuff. And I went to a normal doctor, just a straight, straight up Western doctor at the Palo Alto Medical Foundation. Uh, if you're listening, guys, I, I hope that your positions evolved. This was 20 something years ago, so not thrown into the bus. Uh, this is history. And I said, you know, something's wrong and I don't know what it is. And it's, it's scaring me because I feel like I've been poisoned. But when I take vitamin C, I feel a little bit better. And the guy looks at me and he said, stop, it could kill you. And I said, what about Linus Pauling? And he said, Linus who? And if you're listening, you don't know, that's okay, you're not a doctor. But Linus Pauling, two Nobel Prizes in medicine, took 90 grams of vitamin C a day and popularized what this thing, what it does for you. And so I fired the doctor, but here's what I'm grateful for today. I didn't see a doctor for four years because I decided that all doctors were basically clueless clowns. They'd been doing this to me for all this time, I weighed 300 pounds. He looked at me and told me, maybe you should try to lose weight. I'm like, 
you know, maybe you should kiss my, you know what? Cause I've been working out six days a week, an hour and a half a day. And you think I'm lying and I'm not. And so I, I went through all this, but after four years, thankfully I stumbled across, this was before Google. So it was Alta Vista. Uh, I stumbled across um, early stuff about anti-aging and, and there was a directory of physicians that came from A4M. And I said, I'm going to try one of these people because they look interesting. And I found one. The first one I went to said, oh, God, you know a lot. You think you have one of these seven conditions and you know the labs to order for each one of those? Do you mind if I order the the likelihood of those conditions based on my experience? And we'll just order all those labs. And sure enough, I had like half the things I thought I had. And that gave us the, the way to do it. But if you hadn't put that group together, I wouldn't have even known how to find this sort of stuff. When people sit down today in most of the country, and I'm just talking most of the US now because it's different in different countries, but when they sit down today, the average person who doesn't know that anti-aging exists, they don't know functional medicine exists, they just sort of look in the phone book, they go to a normal doctor. And what I want to know is how are you getting those people who don't know the difference between a doctor who basically does color by numbers. The doctor says, well, what's going on today? What's your house look like? What do you eat? What do you exercise? How's your love life? All the stuff that matters. What's A4M's mission to reach those people? Because if you would have got to me four years earlier, I would have been a lot happier. Well, you, you know, we try to, but you know, there's a lot more money in illness and sickness and all this horrific uh, medical conditions out there than there is in health. So we do all we can to get the message out there. But the bad guys, they don't want that message out there because if you can, as an example, find a cure for cancer, every cancer patient is a million dollars of stuff. Every Alzheimer patient is millions of dollars of stuff. And we have a, a like a tidal wave of Alzheimer's that's going to hit. So if we don't come up with some answers, I mean, you're going to have a massive, massive population that's going to be chronically trashed. And so we try to get that message out. And I think the social media and the fact that the internet is so active and that people of all ages can find whatever information they want through Google or whatever or through their phone. So I think it's really starting to speed up. You know, when we started the anti-aging industry back in the early 90s, it was zero dollars. The anti-aging industry, there was nothing. Now it's over $240 billion industry annually. By 221, the new studies came out $320 billion annually. Why? Because we have this massive baby boomer population does not want to grow old like their parents did. They want to make the changes. They don't want to grow old gracefully. There's nothing graceful about being crippled and arthritic or overweight or having high blood pressure. And what we used to get is, you know, all the people that were kind of poking fun at us and saying that you can't stop aging, you can't. Well, you can't change somebody's chronologic age. Of course, you can't change the number. But physiologically, you sure as heck can change the way they look. You take a 50-year-old male who's 50 pounds overweight, his blood pressure is high, cholesterol is high, bad lipoprotein profile, he's tired, lethargic, his sexual energy is gone. We get this guy in an exercise program, put him on the right hormone replacement, loses the weight, changes diet, blood pressure drops, his cholesterol drops. Have we de-aged him? Damn straight we have. We've taken him physiologically, turned him into a different person. Have we changed his chronologic age? Of course not. But you can make the difference. So we try to get that word out. And fortunately, through the media and through the interconnectivity, just like the millions of people that you reach all the time, you're going to reach some people. You're saying the term A4M. You're saying American Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine. You're using the term anti-aging medicine. 
This used to be a very bad word. People hated the word. I said, what should we call it? Pro-aging? Pro-death? What do you want us to call it? It's really tough to know because when I I first got involved, and I've been running an anti-aging nonprofit group in Silicon Valley for almost 20 years. So this would have gone back to the mid to late 90s when I started getting interested in learning this. And I'm hanging out with guys more than three times my age, some of them, uh, who are profoundly healthy and, and sort of learning from the stuff that works for them. But I would say, hey, we're four minutes from Google's headquarters. I'd say, hey guys, uh, I've got this cool group of really smart people and we're hacking human biology and we're getting younger. And the number of people from Google who would show up, only two of them ever showed up and one of them was my uncle. Uh, and I, I could not get people under 40 to pay attention to anti-aging medicine, even though there was so much to offer there. Since that time, I mean, this is going back, you know, 10, 15 years, have you seen a shift? Are, are you getting people 20, 30, 40 who are saying, you know, I don't want to, you know, be old. I'm seeing what's happening to my, my grandparents and I, I don't want that future and I'm willing to make the investment in myself now. Or is it still that perennial when you're young, you have, you know, you're not going to die. Massive shift. Massive. Wow. Uh, we're getting people now, young people. Look, look who's throwing all the money into research. Google, Calico, okay? Billions of dollars combined with uh, uh, big pharmas. There's billions of dollars. Look, the term anti-aging was a bad, bad word. They hated that word. We were abused for that word. You know, you can always tell the pioneers, and you being a pioneer yourself, you tell the pioneers by first what they try to do is they try to destroy you. They try and ridicule you. <laughs> yeah. Then they try to disprove you. Then they copy you, and then they call it their own. Well, we're in the copy, call it your own phase. Oh, yeah. And now it's not, when you see the big releases, it's anti-aging therapeutics or anti-aging drugs at the big pharma. So now that the billions of dollars are coming in, now it's hitting the radar of the big boys, but it's also hitting the radar of the young people, like the Google gang and like these young entrepreneurs and people who are younger and younger now saying, you know what, I'm not going to lay out in the sun and get age my skin. I'm going to use moisturizers. moisturizers. I'm going to be taking vitamins because I know the food sources are just lousy and I can't get enough of the nutrients I need for the proper program. So yeah, younger and younger people now. That's why the big explosion in vegan, you know, vegans and vegetarians and changing of diets and all these healthy food restaurants instead of your crispy cream sugar donut action. You know, it's a whole different world now. Does that approach the vegan or vegetarian uh, equal anti-aging or longer longevity in your experience? Well, it's pretty tough to be a vegan. I mean, it's not an easy thing to do. <laughs> I can't do it. It's, it's, at a, it's above my pay grade. But um, I'm seeing a lot more young people doing this for, uh, for social conscious reasons as well as for health reasons. That's the perception of health. Yeah, yeah the perception. And they're, and they're making the changes. I'm seeing a lot more young people and not drinking you know, the sodas and the other yeah. stuff in there. That, that's been a sea change. In, I, I, and cigarettes. I, oh, yeah. Cigarettes are gone, although vaping is coming back, and I'm not sure that's so good for you. But well, now marijuana is legal yeah. everywhere, so they're going to be you know, all true. coasting around the world. And even nicotine itself uh, is an anti-aging substance. I, I interviewed uh, called Dr. Nicotine from Vanderbilt University on using oral nicotine, not smoking, as a treatment for Alzheimer's disease. And he's been studying this. His first paper came out in 1988, even before the A4M, just barely before. And he's still working on getting the word out about that. Uh, so I, I look at this, uh, for me, A4M, these meetings, it's kind of like Comic-Con uh, for, for a lot of people where you go to see your superhero. Like, I get to meet you know, 
78-year-old neurosurgeons who've you know, measured cognitive dysfunction in 13 million people and proved that concussions matter. And to me, those are rock stars and heroes and game changers, uh, at least as much as uh, Superman. You're talking about Joe Maroon, right? In fact, yeah. Yeah, Joe's great. Joe's a good friend. In fact, when Joe... I can't believe you picked up, picked up who that well, was. Well, I That's know. Cool. <laughs> the reason I know Joe is that Peter Safer, who was the, uh, he was the, the doctor who invented CPR, worked yeah. at a University of Pittsburgh where Joe's chief of neurosurgery. And, um, and we did research because a few in my previous life, uh, I had uh, founded a few biotech companies that were doing a lot of work. We did the first original papers and research in brain resuscitation. That's oh, when I met wow. Peter Safe, who invented CPR and that whole thing. And then we did all this research with the American Red Cross, where we were overseeing over 150 medical patents that I had to put with different scientists and so on. And so Dr. Maroon, or Joe Maroon, came to our conference for the first time. I guess it's got to be at least 15 years ago or more. And he comes up to me, and I, I didn't know who he was. He didn't know who I, he knew who I was because I was just on stage. And he goes, you know, you know, I, I didn't want to go to this, but I heard that this would be interesting. And I really didn't think much of it, but I showed up anyway. And he says, this is the finest medical conference I've ever been to in my life. And since then, Joe, Joe, Joe and I have become very good friends. Uh -huh. He's now a, our senior vice president of the A4M for a number of years. And Joe's the perfect example. Here you got a guy who's 78, running, doing Ironman competitions yeah. still, um, and lecturing around the world, you know, and still today he happens to be getting ready for the Steelers to pay, play the Patriots because he's team neurosurgeon for the Steelers. I just met him about an hour and a half before our interview uh, for the first time. And he said, Dave, I always have something in my pocket. I got to show you. It was brain octane, the oil that I'm well known for for talking about, which to me, that that's a profound honor when someone who spent their life doing neurosurgery or something says, hey, this thing you're involved with, it, it's useful and I use it. Uh, and, and it was it just made it really memorable. That's why I, I mentioned it. Uh, and I'll probably interview him about that because being a, a team neurosurgeon for a sports team and going to anti-aging conferences may not be something that you're listening to this thing, what are those are related? Yeah, they are related. And you know, Bob started out in sports medicine and became this okay. If you have an injured athlete and you make them younger, well, what if you look at aging or the process of aging kind of as injuries and you can reverse some of those things? It, it's a repair process that you're looking to turn on. Or you prevent it in the first place. I mean, yeah, there you know, you I, competed, I competed as I hit world level when I was 14. I stayed there for 14 years of world competition. You get busted up pretty good. Yeah. And even though I retired at 28, what I've been able to do is retransform my myself. So I'm the same weight now at 63 as I was at when I was competing, doing world records. But I I don't ha I have less pain now than I did back then, in terms of my yeah. joints because I'm not beating myself to death with these you know super crazy high repetitions or the kind of heavy poundage. You know, you adjust what you're doing, and and I think people are now seeing that. The, 60 is now the new 40, and 80 is now the new 60. And I was about to ask you how old you were. So you're 63, yeah. and you've been practicing anti-aging stuff at the, the cutting edge for 26 years, and you, you definitely, I wouldn't have guessed 63. Actually, I would have given your timeline, but just if I looked at you, I wouldn't think that you were 63. I think you were probably, mm, probably early 50s. It would be a good guess, just based on your skin volume and the wrinkles and all that stuff. Now, I'm going to ask you some tough questions. You don't have to answer them if you don't want to. Okay. In the early days, anti-aging medicine meant plastic surgery and cosmetic stuff. Well, you know, that's part of anti-aging so medicine. Did you do it? 
No, no, I've never had no. Okay. Yeah. Oh no, I've never no, had no Botox, no, no. facelifts. I have, no. I have, no, I okay. have tried Botox because I like to um, experiment to see, yeah. you know, needle techniques and so on. It's not something I do like regular basis, but I have tried it. Uh, but no, I've never had any plastic surgery. So whatsoever. you've never had any work done. So that's no, not the no. kind of anti-aging medicine that we're talking about. Uh, well, that is it's, a it's part. A part of the that is a part of anti-aging medicine and, and a valid part because yeah, you don't want to no, look old if you're getting old. It's okay. No, no, I have no problem with you know patients who want to have uh, you know modifications done or plastic surgery. But you know, a lot of the plastics now, their needle techniques and the fillers and the lasers that are available now. It's not like the old days. We have these horrible CO two peels, and you look like a snake for a week, and you can't leave your house. You do various kinds of thermage or Fraxel and these different Cool Touch and these things. You look fine the same day. And so there's a lot, a lot of approaches now we didn't have in the past. I'm actually going to go do an IPL laser treatment because I'm working on uh, very consciously living to at least 180 years old. And I was in men's, uh, men's health. 108 or 180? 180. Good, good man. And, and my deal is, like, you tell me, I want you to like barf on this if it's wrong. But my deal is we can get to 120 because I've seen it happen. There are documented cases of people doing this and they usually didn't take that great of care of themselves. They oftentimes had good environments. They lived in a jungle and had family and stuff like that. But so if we know what we know now about mitochondria, about the other potential causes of aging, and we do some basic smart stuff, there's a reasonable chance, especially with enough money to handle interventions and things like driving a heavy car and whatever else, I could probably make it to 120 with what I know today and where things are. And it means I might have to not eat cake sometimes, and I probably won't take up smoking and things, but like it's achievable. It's not science fiction. Now, between now... And 120 for me, there's 74 years left. And I go back in time 74 years and things accelerated much more slowly than, than they do now. And I look at what we knew, which was very little compared to what we know now. And I know where things are going because like you, I get to talk to the people doing the next things. I don't think saying we're going to get 50% lift in 74 years, if you have access to the technologies... I don't think it's even that big of a number. In fact, that's why I say at least 180. <laughs> not, <laughs> you know, not, uh, it's not a ceiling, it's a floor. How crazy am I? Well, you're not crazy, you're hopeful. And uh, I hope you're right. Um, you know, 124 with Jean Clement is, you know, the oldest that we have documented, although there are some supposed documentations of some people in their 135 or so. Um, but the, thing we run into, we're living in a real toxic environment today. Yes. We're living in a different environment now. You have contrails, you got the food is poison, you have GMOs in the food, you know, the air is is a mess, the, you know, we get electromagnetic radiation, we're sitting in a, you know, radiation is permeating through our phones, through this hotel right now. So we're living in a toxic soup, which is very different than, say, even 20 or 30 years ago. And so with those toxins, and with the high risk of cancer, which was rarer before, and now it's all over the place, the impediments to getting there are tougher. Now, you have two things going at the same time. One, you have this new technology. Right. Some of the tech, they're not going to want to get out because all of a sudden you look at the socioeconomic aspects. If all of a sudden everybody's living to be 100, 120, 140, who's paying for all this? And how, what are you going to do with all the people? Now, somebody says, who wants to live to be 98? A guy who's 97. <laughs> okay, so who wants to live to be one, one at 70, 180, a guy is 179. So um, it, it's, it's very hopeful. I hope you are right. I think that there, the technology leaps are possible, 
and it's happening fast. You got over 600 drugs under uh, in in different stages now for anti-aging or anti-aging therapeutics. So I think it's a possibility, but there's a lot of impediments against it by the fact that certain powers that be do not want to see these things get out because there'll be too many, too much strain on the socioeconomic structure of the world and um, where the tox level of toxicity, the radiation that's out there from the Fukushima's to the food supply to the chemicals that are we're being bombarded with to the radiation we're being bombarded with. So I hope you are right. I'd like to be there with you. I like that because I got a lot more fun stuff to do. Uh, but um, we're going to have to be extra careful in our programming. It is definitely an epigenetic thing. And, and if you're new to Bulletproof Radio, epigenetics is the the science of how the environment around you turns your genes on or off. And it's a core part of biohacking, the term that I'm in the dictionary for now. And Merriam-Webster's just added biohacking uh, as a new word in the English language this year, uh, which is fascinating. And this idea that you can use epigenetics to change your body. But if you are soaking in mercury and nickel and lead. And boron and aluminum from the air. and Yeah, this long list of things. Those will affect not just your aging, they'll affect how you feel and how you perform right now. Your brain. You know, yeah. you know, living, being alive, but if your brain is gone, you have Alzheimer's or a full cognitive deficit, that's not living. You're like a, yeah. a box. How often do you test your heavy metals? Not often. I would say every several years. Not often. Okay, not often. What is the single most effective anti-aging technology you've ever personally used? I, I you know, I, I did have stem cells once. Um, Your and, own or someone else's? Uh, no, uh, I had someone else, not someone, you know, placental. Okay. And uh, 200 million uh, a and dose. a big dose, but not in this country. IV? IV. And uh, I, I, I was there really because a buddy of mine says, hey, let's go try this, you know, at one of the hospitals. You can't get this done in the U.S. Yeah. And... I said, well, yeah, I said, okay, because I, you know, I don't mind experimenting and trying new technologies because I like to learn about these things and experiment them, just whether it be hyperbaric or whatever the case may be. Well, I'd had some pain in my left hip for a number of years, uh, maybe, from, I don't know, from the martial arts training, whatever, but I had this pain in my left hip. And a month later, that pain went away. Yeah. And that was like five years ago. It's never come back. Now, and that was just from one treatment. Now, the stem cell administration was the only thing that I did different during that time period. So I'm assuming that that, whatever that IV had in it, worked to fix that thing. It didn't do, I don't know what else it may have done, but that was the thing that I was able to, I was able to really detect that there was an absolute change in my physiology, that something was fixed. We've had Bob Hariri from Celgene on Bulletproof Radio, one of the innovators in the field, uh, Dr. Harry Adelson, uh, Kristen Camella, Amy Killen, uh, Matt Cook, uh, a, a good number of stem cell people have done a lot of procedures. And I've done work with all but Bob. Uh, so I, I most recently with Harry had 11 vials of exosomes, my fat-derived cells, and half a liter of bone marrow-derived cells put in every joint in my body. Uh, Johns Hopkins neurosurgeon uh, put some of the cells inside my uh, inside my spinal cord, not intrathecal, but actually with the cannulae, and face, hair, uh, other unmentionable areas, everything you can possibly do all at once. And that was probably my fifth stem cell treatment. So my plan is, yes, the environment sucks and it causes inflammation, and the environment also has some amazing stuff, but basically the toxin levels are unacceptable, especially if you travel as much as you probably do as much as I do. Airplanes are even worse, hotel rooms like this. Uh, so I might as well just get 
stem cells every six to 12 months and just keep that up for life. Good idea, bad idea? Um, I think it's an interesting idea, um, <laughs> depending on where you're getting them yeah, and depending how technology evolves. Um, I think I, I know some people that are doing things not quite as extensive of what you just That's described. The most ex- we, we call that the the whole body stem cell upgrade or something with yeah, Terry that, You just that. you just got the new uh, Mercedes with every possible option you can imagine. I, I don't know a better a better investment than your own biology. Like I, I agree. I, I mean, I think you're 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 doing things. That's a smart thing to do because you know you have the capability. Uh, and and you have the you, the intelligence to know this is interesting stuff, um, and you it's not so much first do no harm. I think that you're taking technologies. I'm a good big fan of exosomes, stem cells, cytokines, growth factors, hormone replacement. I think is very helpful, done carefully and properly. So um, yeah, I think it's a good idea. I don't know that I would do it every six months, but certainly as needed. Is the Hippocratic Oath at first do no harm? Is that actually what it should be? Well, you know, it's a sort of nice thought, but if you don't, if you're not a little bit of a cowboy, you know, the best docs to where we who become anti aging docs who really are into it are ER docs, emergency room docs, because yeah. they're the cowboys who are not afraid to try anything. You know what I mean? And you get, mm-hmm. and in this field, you got to be fearless in the sense of not doing stupid things, but doing innovative things that have some scientific base, some strong scientific base. And really a lot of what is we've learned about anti-aging came from the bodybuilding industry. Yeah. Who was doing all the weight? You know, I remember when I was training back in the old days, doctor told me, don't lift weights, you're gonna get muscle bound, don't lift weights, you're gonna enlarge your heart. All the doctors are dead, all the bodybuilders are running around California in their (laughs) eighties. And the same thing here. They were so against nutritional supplementation. My doctor says, you don't need this. You get enough from food. We all know that's all nonsense today. And so I think that there are a number of technologies which used effectively. I'm a big fan of also hormone replacement for men and for women. Stuff works. Came from the bodybuilding industry. You know, they were were doing, maybe not healthfully, they were taking too much of, you know, various uh, hormonal medications and so on. But the concept done therapeutically is a good one, and there's strong scientific basis for it. This is going to sound unrelated, but it's totally related. A lot of people don't know about the history of hacking, and I actually was in a cyberpunk in the early 90s and a computer hacker. I studied computer science and worked in that field and um, things like that. But hackers were around before then. We had people who were hacking the phone system called freakers. But before then... Some of the world's first hackers were, um, we, it, where I grew up in New Mexico, we called them cholos. Or they called themselves cholos. These were the guys who had the best low riders on earth. Okay. And this is, we're talking, you know, late 40s, 50s. And they got so good at managing hydraulic systems in their cars so they could go up and down and do all the crazy stuff that you see in rap videos still today. Um, that the U.S. military came in and said, we need help designing tanks because you guys are better at this than anyone else in the world. And a lot of those guys ended up getting jobs you know, at the very biggest military contractors because they focused on this. And I feel like that's exactly the same thing. Now we're at the era of hacking the human body. And what you're describing there is, yes, the bodybuilders are doing stuff that doctors didn't even know about. In fact, doctors said to their face it didn't work. And the, the bodybuilders like, have you seen my abs? And you look like you're going to die. In fact, the bodybuilder was right. And the doctors, the cognitive dissonance was so strong, but we did suck those techniques out of bodybuilding and into the anti-aging field. Yeah, it's kind of interesting because, you know, originally people were so 
against bodybuilding. It was like a bad word that we were forced to use back in the 30s and 40s, physical culture. Right. And the Olympic lifters hated the bodybuilders. Why? Because when we have the shows, everybody want to go to the bodybuilding shows. Nobody really <laughs> cared to go to the Olympic lifting shows. Now, me having been in both sports, although I never competed in bodybuilding, that's why I've been chief doc for that sport for so many years. But a lot of this information, a lot of the training techniques, the nutrition that's used, how to use protein, how to cycle in terms of whether it be medications or whether it be the type of foods, the way the meals, meal prep, all these things. It's really scientific. I mean, these athletes, these bodybuilders, they have this down to a science. They weigh all their food. They know exactly how many calories, what time of the day. You know, really sophisticated stuff. It's quite amazing. So what's, where's the next round of anti-aging knowledge going to come from? I think it's going to come from a few areas. When you have gene therapy, nanotechnology, genetic engineering, uh, it's not even the stem cells, it's the various uh, growth factors that are coming out, and that's where the exosomes are kind yeah. of interesting to us. Um, I think that we're going to see some medications or some type of compounds that are going to be like an escalation that, like, like we've seen with our cell phones. Like if you look at your cell phone from you know ten years ago, it was like a big block. You know, it was like mm -hmm. now you have supercomputers in your pocket. Oh, it's great. So imagine now you go to nanocircuitry and now you go to nanopharmaceuticals where you don't even take take a med, you breathe it in through the lungs with nanoparticles. So I think there are things things in the pipeline right now that are gonna be off the hook. And when you start to combine them synergistically, you're gonna get this massive escalation. And capability. And now anti-aging is not a bad word anymore. It's not a bad thing. And now it's being used by the big boys. So I think that's going to blow the doors open and it's going to allow more and more people to get involved and more and more scientists to get involved and be told, don't do that. That's really, you know, you shouldn't be doing that kind of experimentation. And more docs trying different things because that's really where you learn. Unfortunately, the state boards keep persecuting the docs for being innovative for good, safe therapies because they don't like it. It's like take growth hormone as an example. Mm -hmm. The growth hormone administration given to patients is like one-sixth of what you give to a child as therapy. You know, they're, they're trying to demonize things that really can be very helpful. Now, I'm not on growth hormone myself, but I've seen, I've seen it work very effectively on patients in their 70s and 80s, and they, they snap back really good. I've definitely had a parent use it after surgery, and it's pretty incredible. Um, the doctor looks at him and says, oh, it's weird, you're healing twice as fast as you're supposed to. It must be a miracle. And of course, he holds up the vial and says, maybe it's not a miracle. The doctor says, no, that can't be it. You're like, all right. And I've, it's I've just a, it's a duh. You know, you put your head in for a duh. <laughs> Is it, it, going back to the Hippocratic Oath question, I don't want a doctor whose job is to first do no harm because, you know, you might do harm with almost anything. I want a doctor who's going to do for me what he'd do for himself or herself, right? If you were in my shoes and you had my resources and my family, right? And this goes for no matter what your resources, no matter what your family situation is, your, your goals in life, whatever they are, right? And the risk tolerance that you have, here's the solution. And yes, you have a 20% chance of dying, but you have an 80% chance of healing everything and living another 30 years. You want to roll the dice. And that is a doctor who has done no harm. But the doctor who says you don't get to pick, that is doing harm. Am I too radical? Well, no, no, you're not radical at all. In fact, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of funny. The first anti-aging patients were not women. People think they were women. They weren't. They were men. Because when a man loses a hair on top of his head and, 
that part below his waist stops working, the men will pay anything <laughs> to get that fixed. And those are your first anti-aging patients for hair transplant and for erectile dysfunction. Take as an example in terms of different drugs. When Viagra came out, now mind you, this is for erectile dysfunction, you don't die from a lack of an erection, even though a man may think he may die from not getting an erection. Yep. It's a non-fatal disease, largest multi-billion dollar launch in the history of the pharmaceutical industry for a drug treating a non-fatal disorder that tells you that the public wants this. And, you know, it's the art of medicine. When they say first do no harm, forget Yes, of course, we don't want to harm the patient, but you have to be innovative and you can't do it the same old, same old. And doctors, you can't, Harrison's textbook of internal medicine and just give a drug for every time the patient comes in or don't put your hands on the patient in terms of really, really trying to diagnose them and see what's going on. And now doctors are treating the chart and not even treating the patient. They're not even looking at the patient, not even examining the patient. They're looking at the chart. And due to the medical legal things out there, they're afraid to do the right type of medicine because now they're doing things to protect themselves from litigation. So things have really gotten kind of topsy-turvy. And then on top of that, you got the state boards and then you got all those the, the bottom feeder lawyers that are out there looking to sue people for anything under the sun, whether it's based on fact or not. So what's the best country to go to to get some really cutting-edge anti-aging stuff? Is it Japan? Uh, no, actually, I like Thailand. Thailand. I like Thailand. I think Thailand's, a lot of them, a lot of the docs are trained, uh, were trained in the U.S. There's some tremendous hospitals out there. Actually, that's where I get my medical care. I don't even see a doctor here in the U.S. I love I have it. My, I have my full history and physical uh, out there. I, I, can, I can get a complete history and physical, which will mean uh, uh, exercise, uh, treadmill test, EKG, Son full body sonography, uh, you know, just every blood sample, everything under the sun for like six hundred dollars, <laughs> which is in the U.S. would be a ten to fifteen thousand dollar Mayo Clinic exam. Wow. Okay, so I don't even get my medical care in the U.S. That's why medical tourism is exploding because people want to yeah. go to other places where they're not getting the old textbook. You know, I would I would kind of when I would look at how they're doing executive physicals at a lot of the so called elite. Uh, clinical or in medical institutions here in the U.S. Basically, you go in and they tell you, well, you're not dead this year. We didn't find anything that'll kill you this year. Come back in a year. Not giving advice of what they should do. How do they get better? How do they enhance their performance? How do they get stronger, faster? More, all the stuff we want. All the stuff we want. They just say, well, we haven't found disease. Like Any doctor can find disease. It takes a real smart doctor to find health and then enhance it. I, I love it. If tomorrow someone gave you a gift certificate for a million dollars in anti-aging therapies, for you, how would you allocate that? Well, I got plenty of millions, so I'm not so much concerned that I'd spend the money anyway. But <laughs> I wouldn't necessarily spend any more than I do now. You know, okay. I, I wouldn't. I, how much do you spend now on anti-aging? Not a lot. I would say probably twenty grand a year. Okay. Was you that know? mostly supplements? It's mostly supplements and the right kind of food stuffs and. Um, exercise and maybe more sometimes because I you know whenever I see some new equipment I want to try out I will you know because I like to train so uh okay but even if I if somebody handed me a million dollars I'm not gonna go gee I'm gonna go do I'm I don't feel I'm not afraid to spend the money if I think a therapy is good but I don't do everything under the sun willy-nilly I look for stuff I evaluate it and then if I feel like like the stem cell uh administration I had I did my research on it and I said you know what I'm gonna try this well, I haven't gone back though if you're only spending twenty thousand dollars a year and you got two hundred million cells, that was at least twenty thousand dollar treatment. No, for your you see, list. in in the clinic where I went, it was twenty five hundred dollars. 
And if you do that, that's a good deal. That's right. And so if I'll you have do to get that number afterwards, yeah. So you see, <laughs> if you if you go to the right places, and a lot of the places that are charging them out of money are ripping the patients off because yeah. they're charging insane money for what their true cost of goods are. Uh, yep, I've seen the cost of goods, and sometimes it's crazy markup, and sometimes it's not. It 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 also huge variances in quality. You get an IV, you get cells from different places or other compounds like a Myers cocktail. Um, you know, sometimes you want to pay a little bit more because you're getting the good stuff. And I, I mean, being a manufacturer of supplements uh, at Bulletproof and and foods, I know at a visceral level how many corners you can cut to save a little bit of money. And if you cut enough corners, you save a lot of money. And I haven't cut any of those corners. And uh, you know, it it means that that the supplements are going to cost a little bit more, but it means they have the right levels and the right quality. Uh, and I'm I'm finding that. Even in the era of anti-aging medicine, you get people who do a crap job. They use poor quality ingredients, and they're knocking off original research and things like that. And then people say, oh, it doesn't work. And it sort of like pulls down the industry. You can see it in keto, people putting uh, you know, lauric acid or stuff that doesn't do more than corn oil and saying, oh, it's highly ketogenic. And like, well, someone who tries that for the first time they're just going to say, I felt like myself, but it tasted like coconuts. Great. And it, it, all of a sudden, a potential person who could have been changed doesn't get to pick that up. Are you concerned that it was a $240 billion market for anti-aging, that there's just enough bullshit out there? There is a lot. Yeah. And that's you see, that's the problem because that's what we try to avoid. That's why a lot of the vendors, we don't, we, we try to, as best we can without being too over overbearing. We have not, uh, there are a number of vendors that we don't even let exhibit anymore at our at our conferences because we don't feel there's enough scientific basis to what they're doing. And yes, like with all any industry, there's a lot of marketeers that are not doing things the right way. Or even in the you go to the nutritional supplement industry, there's some that are really cutting corners and not, you know and and they some of them get in trouble for it. And too much money is spent on the marketing versus the science, and that's why they don't publish. Uh, they don't do the scientific uh, presentations like they should. So yeah, we have that. We have this problem in this industry, like we do in every industry. Um, it it seems like uh, it's part of that process you talked about earlier. Yeah, when when you first come out with something, people are going to resist it and make fun of it, and then suddenly say it's obvious. Uh, and at that very last step, that then they knock it off, and then they run the risk of breaking it if it's something that's new and and cool enough. Uh, and so. I've had a hard time with within the world of biohacking. There's some stuff like ayahuasca, uh, microdosing or full dose LSD, uh, breathing exercises that I can show you on a quantitative EEG. I know that they change your brain state. Uh, well, you can feel it clearly. And we also know that they raise BDNF and they do some cool things like that, but they're just inherently out there. And most of them are not that well clinically studied because they've been illegal for 40 years. But before that, the studies were pretty positive. Uh, stuff like that, I, I I'm always walking that line. All right, do I want to include this in the in the field of biohacking? Um, because eventually you get to a certain point where, like, well, if you just do the the magic fairy dance, you know, and you ask the great Lord Octopus, uh, you know, with your left eye closed or whatever the heck, you know, you, clearly there's probably not a lot going on there. Where do you draw the borders? Because I'm I'm asking this because I'm working on this with biohacking. And I'm like, how do how do you know if I should invite someone to the biohacking conference? right? How do you do that? How do you know when someone's gone too far? Well, you know, you learn by that type of experimentation. And, you know, 
there are benefits to these things. Like ayahuasca is very interesting, uh, you know, um, and and I, I have some scientific familiarity with that. Um, I'm also now, uh, since I, I go to Thailand a lot, there are people who are very heavily involved in the meditation through the yeah. Buddhist uh, Buddhist religion, and and they're doing some pretty remarkable things for themselves, healthfully. And you see different people at different levels in that area. So um, it, it's it's challenging because you have to really, you got to try the new stuff, but you got to be a little careful. You're not going off the deep end. And so, like everything, it's like water is great, but you can kill yourself if you drink enough water. So aspirin's great. You know, aspirin wouldn't be never approved as a drug today, <laughs> and you know, and it's available OTC. So. Um, we got a lot to learn. We got a lot to overcome, but I think we're on the right track and the world has changed and it's changing in the right direction. And we had to deal with enormous resistance and now we're into people in the copy phase. So I'll handle that. That's better than when they were really nasty. Uh, yeah. The copy phase is, is a much better place to be. All right, you brought up aspirin. So I just, I have to ask you this. Have you ever seen the research on the Spanish flu epidemic, the death rate in aspirin? Well, I, I, I can't say that I, I have, but probably the death rate of aspirin may be higher than the Spanish flu. Yeah, I, I was hoping that you'd say yes, and we t- chat about it. But the short version is that the year of 1918 is the year that aspirin came off patent. And the Spanish flu caused massive internal bleeding, and people were taking aspirin like candy because of fevers, like sometimes 50 grams of aspirin a day. And there's some pretty credible papers out there saying, um, we think that it really wasn't that bad of a flu. It was just a really bad use of pharmaceuticals that just became widely available. Even though I'm hearing this for the first time, it is probably it may very well be the case. <laughs> but uh, uh, we we see stuff like that. And even in FenFen, you know, the, the weight loss compound that finally got pulled off the market for causing, I think it was uh, heart attacks, if I remember right. Um, we've seen this long history of drugs that don't work. Are you worried about some of the anti-aging drugs, maybe if they turn on cellular regeneration, increasing cancer risk, but doing it 10 years from now? Like, How do you think we're going to balance out that risk? Yeah, I think the, the anti-aging drugs, at least the ones that are out now, whether it be metformin or things like this, I think are relatively benign compared to the yeah. the drugs that they're giving people for blood pressure, you know, or the statins and all this other kind of stuff and the and the psychogenic drugs where they're trying to help people with depression, the Prozacs and all these things that are just destroying people's lives. Um, you know, even things like sleepers like Ambion and Linesta, you you mix Linesta or Ambion with a, with somebody who's had a few drinks of alcohol, you can end up with a schizophrenic memory loss, sleepwalking. Who lunatic. knows what kind of tweets you might send out? <laughs> um, yeah, match. Well, I think I think half the people are doing that anyway from the kind of tweets that are going out anyway. But yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's it, it's tough because uh, even something as simple as as metformin, which is a very well known anti diabetes drug with anti aging properties, uh, in the let's say the late nineties, the first company to look at metformin was called Biomarker Pharmaceuticals, and I'd been on metformin for three years. Uh, I did not have diabetes, although I did prior to starting metformin, I did have a pre-diabetes, but that was already gone from nutrition. I said, I'm going to take this because I'm into anti-aging. And when I met the biomarker pharmaceutical team, because fortunately they were there in Palo Alto or somewhere, I went in and, and I mentioned I'd be doing this and they only had mouse studies. And they said, really? Are, are you serious? How, how old are you? And I, I said, well, I'm 78. 
And and it, you could just hear a pin drop when they all thought, oh my God, it works. And then they realized, wait a minute. Uh, and then they all laughed. Uh, but since then, I've been on it for five, 10 years. And then I quit because I looked at the research on mitochondrial performance on metformin. And you get about 20, 30% drop in, uh, or we'll say uh, decrease in mitochondrial heteroplasmy, uh, which scares me. So now I, I don't really know. So these anti-aging drugs is the risk reward where we think. I want to run a few of these past you. Do you take metformin? Yes, yes. How long have you taken it? Uh, just a few years. Okay. And About what, a year and a half. Okay. And uh, what kind of a dose do you consider? 500 using? milligrams BID. Okay. So relatively low dose. All right. Synolytic compounds. No, that's that's really it. I mean, I'm, I'm not really, yeah, I'm not really taking a lot of stuff. See, yeah. Okay, for a guy who runs the A4M, you're kind of a conservative anti-aging guy. Well, I'm for. I was fortunate to have a, a quite extreme genetics. I, I never get headaches. I don't need a lot of sleep. Um, you know, I have very high levels of strength. And energy. I, I've never had a cup of coffee even in my in my whole life. No offense to I mean, Bulletproof. I can show you some studies. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you can. Not not against coffee. I just yeah. never got into it, you know. There are a few people out there who are just wired for energy. Uh, Tony Robbins is like that. Yeah, Tony. I mean, he, yeah, I, I can't imagine Tony Robbins on coffee. I, I think you know, things would be bouncing off the wall, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so when you're at that level, yeah, there are people who just don't need it. Um, however, though, a lot of them have a hard time with sleep. Do you sleep well? I don't sleep a lot because I don't need a lot of sleep, but, uh, I you have the genetic mutation that means you need less sleep. I, I don't know. All I know is that I, you know, some people get headaches. I never get headaches. I don't need a lot of, I don't need much sleep. How much? I don't get hypoglycemia. Wow. How much sleep is not much sleep? Uh, two to four hours. Yeah. You've probably got that gene. I forget what it's called, but man, I wish I could get that gene. Well, I'll, I'll throw you a sample. And <laughs> <laughs> nice. I, uh, uh, I've had six hours and six minutes for the past uh, almost, geez, I want to say five years of data. Um, so I, I do quite well on that when I eat the right stuff. And if But I sometimes even if you, um, you know, if your body says, hey, you need to rest, like if my body says, hey, you know, especially with the international travel, yeah, I'll sleep, <laughs> I may sleep, you know, a good portion of a whole day. Yeah. It, you got to listen to your body. Very good point. And what do you eat? Um, generally, pretty simple, healthy. Nothing really uh, profound. You know, a lot of fruits, vegetables, um, you know, lean meats. Uh, I'm not a vegetarian. Um, I, 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 I do eat, which I shouldn't eat as much in terms of chicken. And if you, you know, on the West Coast, I, I won't eat any fish or sushi because of the Fukushima goodies that are coming over every every day. So I've been looking at the the radiation levels, you know, looking at papers and, and things like that um, when it comes to sushi. And it, it looks like the levels of uh, the radioactive compounds are about 2% higher than they were before. Do you have other data that I don't have? I think they're a hell of a lot higher. I mean, you know, the, in the sea, anything from the Sea of Japan, I think the West Coast is being bathed in radiation. The Fukushima is kicking it out more than Chernobyl. I think it's a really bad situation that's and if you look at radiation all over, but especially on the West Coast, it's it's quite bad, uh, and and getting and not getting better, and and you're getting this accumulation of radiation. So um, I think that's why you're seeing so many more cancers. You're seeing all these types of disorders at higher and higher ratios, and that unfortunately is going to increase because we're surrounded by. And then you have all these nuclear facilities all over the place. So you these things get in the food, the air, the water. And they get dragged all over the place. So it's it's a very, that's what I was talking about, the toxic soup that we're living in. 
and that didn't inc- it didn't increase. I was fortunate. I bought a bunch of cans of tuna pre Fukushima, which I still keep and I still eat. <laughs> so I have salmon and tuna pre Fukushima from the Sea of Japan. Interesting. That's why I bought a lot of it back then. Uh, that's uh, not a bad idea. I um, do you have any particular websites for research on that? I'm I'm happy to look at this again. I I dug really deep after it happened at, over the first couple of years and sort of figured out a lot of the stuff has been pulled off in the net. Interesting. You know, so uh, it'll come up. I don't have any particular website, yeah. but I think if you 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 stick your nose around you and spe- somebody who's as good with computers, yeah, I know you, how to we'll research. Take, yeah, we'll find we'll find some interesting right. stuff. Hey, if you're listening to this and you have some amazing stuff like that, hit me up on Instagram or something, uh, Dave.Asbury, and uh, I will do my best to look at what you say. If 5,000 people send me stuff, uh, I probably won't see it all, but my team might. Uh, and I'm interested in that because, you know, I really like sushi. And I take stuff that binds heavy metals in, in sushi. Uh, you can take certain forms of vitamin E that are substantially protective against some forms of radioactivity. Ketones are relatively protective. Uh, and that's not to say that it's a perfect solution, but you're also getting the SN2 fish oils that seem to be really important. And I've kind of done my risk reward analysis and figured that until I see more data that says that there's the radioactive stuff, I, I guess I could fire up my Geiger counter. All right. Now you got me thinking about that. Jeez, that's just what I needed. Thanks, Bob. Well, you see, lucky for me, I don't like raw fish. So oh, well, yeah. So you just have an excuse not to eat sushi. Now it's making more sense. You don't drink coffee. Don't eat sushi. I'm starting to wonder. I, I don't know. No, just kidding. Bob. How long are you going to live? Uh, I'd like to go to at least 120, if, if possible, or at least 100. Um, I would like to go to 180 like you. Uh, it would be great. But it, realistically, I would say in between 100 and 120. All right. What is your number one piece of advice for someone who wants to live as long as humanly possible? The, I think the most magic pill is exercise, you know, aside from the nutrients and all this stuff. If I had to pick the one thing that I think could really make a difference is exercise because you may eat the wrong things, but if you train up hard enough, you're going to start to burn the calories and you're going to be able to override at least some portion of the other things you may not be doing properly. So if I had to pick just one thing, it would probably be exercise. Beautiful. Well, I... I appreciate you taking time to be on, on Bulletproof Radio today. And just my personal thanks for making a field of medicine that helped me directly uh, figure out what was going on with my own biology, um, helped me learn uh, what I learned working at the Antigen Nonprofit Group, um, where I first heard of A4M. I, I just remember going to the, one of the, probably the first four years of A4M conferences down in, in San Jose and just realizing, oh my God, the world's changing. This is the coolest thing ever. And you caused that to happen. Biohacking wouldn't happen. It wouldn't have happened uh, without anti-aging is one of the big things that helps to feed into that universe of, of, uh, of things that give us control of our biology. So just thank you. Well, thank you for the good stuff you're doing because you're making a, a real impact with the different science you're bringing and the different products that you're bringing and, uh, and the education like this. I mean, you're reaching a lot of people and, and getting their, their minds to, to really think in a different way. And that's the way you change the world. And you're making it, making it happen. Uh, it's, a, it's a huge honor to be able to speak in front of a, about 3,000 doctors at the American Academy of Antigen Medicine. I'm not a doctor. If you're new to the show, I'm not Dr. Dave Asprey. I'm Dave Asprey, unlicensed biohacker who, who can't have his license pulled for saying whatever it looks like the science You're says. actually safe. Yeah, you're safe. <laughs>
All right. Have a wonderful night. Thanks for the special edition here at A4M in Las Vegas. Thank you. Pleasure. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.